This week in Flamball, I am your host, Sam Roberts, and I am joined by two very important, very special guests. First of all, Craig Skistimus, member of the Bandits in 2003, sports journalism graduate from the University of Texas and content creator extraordinaire, and coach Bear Berkoff, head coach of the Bandits in 2003, co-head coach of the Bouncers in 2008, and head coach of the Oklahoma City University men's basketball team. How are we doing tonight, guys? Great. Roll, Man, this baby. is awesome. Talk some slam ball. Let's go. <laughs> Excellent. Hope Love that it. brought the energy. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be great, Sam. I think this is a great idea, and I think, um, you know, I think the interest is growing. So I think this is a great idea, and I and I think it's going to be a great thing we're going to do. I think all three of us have been very vocal on on Twitter of making sure that we're interacting and talking about the sport with everyone else that's excited about it. But sometimes it's good to sit down with people who have been involved in the sport and get their perspective in a more in-depth manner about some of the things that we're seeing week to week. And so I think this week in Slam Ball is going to be a really great addition to all the other coverage that we've got going on. I think it will be yeah. too. I'm excited. It's a good outlet for me to kind of get all the things I want to say off my chest instead of just yelling on Twitter. <laughs> and Sam, I'll give the very calm approach of uh, of a coach and uh, stuff that I'm watching film and film study. And uh, so we're, we're going to probably balance all of each other out on this. Great, great. I mean, I'm here just to be a focal point for you guys to speak. I've got some questions. I'll have some follow-up questions, things you guys have to say, but largely we'll just be getting the experts' opinion. Does that sound good? Experts, uh, let's go. Expert, I like that. I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'll, let me put my glasses on, too, to make me feel better. <laughs> Hold on. There we go. All right, let's go. <laughs> Perfect. All right, what, what you got, Sam? So we'll start with a very quick overview. I want to go, are you guys happy with how the league is looking week two versus week one and how we're progressing as the season goes on? I think we'll start with Craig just because I've had a chance to speak to him already this season. And then once we've heard your thoughts, we'll go to Coach Bear. Yeah, I think the season started off about as bad as you could possibly start off. I thought the first game was was a really poor example of the game. Uh, but I think that the game has gradually increased in quality since then. Um the game has changed a lot, and they they emphasis on the game is a lot different than what than what it was when I played. With that said, uh, it's it's a game that I feel will reach its apex, or at least get to, get right to a point where it's like, oh, this is awesome, right when it's about to end, which really kind of sucks because I feel like it's slowly growing, and the guys are getting more, they're learning more about the game. Slam ball, slam ball is not a game that you can watch and and just hop on the court and do it takes time to learn how to play it takes the timing in slam ball is so intricate and important and uh, it takes chemistry and um but i do think that the game has improved greatly from week one to week two and i think going into uh week three they're they're, they're starting to starting to turn it up how do you feel coach bear yeah i mean i'll i'll, I'll say this week one was tough but I think what uh, people don't realize is that the court takes a while to move from one place to another. So when they were at their practice facility, it takes a while for that court to get set up. So there was some downtime for those guys going into week one to play. So, yes, you saw some rough play. You saw some guys that weren't used to maybe live action. I don't know. I, I know there wasn't a lot of physical contact going on in practice. So. And then all of a sudden, then you go right into games where it's physical contact. Guys, emotions are running high. Adrenaline is going. You're on ESPN. Um, I thought it was what we thought. It's what I thought it was going to be. I thought week one was going to be a little rough. I, I The effort was there. The great ideas were there. But then you bounce to week two, and you see some ideas forming with how offenses are going to be coming. There, there's a lot more 
there's a lot more timing and and skits is right the, the game has changed the game back in the day was a lot more physicality and, and just ramming into each other and going right at the stopper and, and you can see now that there's a lot more um precision and different movements happening so and that's going to take time and, and skits is right you know the season the more the season goes the better the guys are going to get and you're going to see it unfortunately right when they're getting really good like playoff time and then all of a sudden the season is going to end and and i hopefully we could there's going to be a way that slam ball is going to be able to move and keep it going from there because it's like it takes a while i have no experience on tramps but skits does it takes a while to get used to and feeling really comfortable out there so but week one to week two outstanding just because Craig and I discussed this last week, Coach, but I've not heard, had a chance to hear your thoughts on it. A lot of people internally within the league want to create a sort of similar to golf, similar to tennis situation where we're getting maybe four slam ball tournaments a year that make up a grand slam type uh, schedule. Do you think that's feasible right now? Do you think that's something that they are still wanting to do? And do you think that could help the league progress with less downtime between seasons? Yes, because the, what you want is the excitement of slam ball. The last thing you want is there's this buildup of excitement and then it goes away. And then you've got all the other sports that are going to happen right now. I mean, with, with the NFL going into training camp, uh, basketball will be starting. Baseball is going to be hitting, you know, the playoff time. I, I love the, I love the idea. Um, you don't want these guys to all of a sudden get really good. And then they take this long, this long period off. I think you need to keep building because I, I I think I listened to your thing with skits. I think there are guys out there right now watching this that are saying, I think I could really play that sport. I'd love to get involved with it. And it's like, let's build on this momentum. There's guys out there that might be coming off of their pro seasons, um, getting cut from training camp in the NFL. Like those are the guys we want to get for slam ball. And it's going to be this thing when it's going to end and the climatic thing of the playoffs, it's like, Let's go on to the next thing. Like, let's keep building. Let's keep finding players for this league. So that that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, as your, it's, yeah I was going to say, Craig, has your opinion on this changed from week one to week two? Uh, so just to kind of mirror what or an echo what, what Bear was saying, I think that the if you can take, I'm not, probably 75% of the players that play in the slam ball league right now. Look, most of the players that play are playing right now by the end of the season, they'll be better than most of the players that played 20 years ago, right? But a year, fast forward a year from now, I would say that 75% of the players that are playing in the league right now probably shouldn't be in the league, right? Because just to kind of mirror what, what Coach Bear was saying, the idea that uh, you're going to see people who who are going to want to play this. Holy crap, this is an opportunity on ESPN. I can be seen on ESPN. I'm going to have highlights put together. They're going to take that chance and, and get start learning a trampoline. So, and Guess when Mason sees that, when Rob sees uh, an application that comes on and says, you know, played uh, Division One basketball at North Carolina, was his eighth per, you know, whatever, that's going to turn their head and at least give them an opportunity to learn. So I think the, I don't know if you'll ever you'll ever have quote unquote, you know, your your star power of your household names uh, in slam ball that you would on you know, your NBA or anything like that, but I do think that you'll you'll be able to say just like with uh, the basketball tournament that you're seeing right now on ESPN as well, you're going to see. Oh, I remember that guy or like the big three. Oh, that guy was awesome. I think there'll be opportunities like that for, for high level college players in slam ball uh, skits, next year. Skits. We want the lower end players that made this league this year to be able to be beat out by better players. I think that's Correct. what's going to make the league great. Yes. And and Sam, it, I think Sam, you, you both have touched on it. It's like these, 
these tennis and golf, you know, like the majors, these guys that are watching it, we want for slam ball to grow. We need the guys that are sitting on the couch saying, I know I'm better than that guy. That's just going to bring great, com great competition. Um, and, and the better slam ball players are going to emerge. I mean, skits hit it on the top. I mean, there, there are guys out there that are better than what we see. Maybe not the top end guys right now, but the lower end guys of slam ball. There's, there, there are going to be better guys than that. And we need to be able to have a, a free agent process or coaches, you know, um, Coach Willis needs to be able to say, man, we're not playing well right now. There's four other guys out there that are sitting out there that are better than these guys. I need to go pick them up. I think that's what's really going to make slam ball take off. And I think uh, that part of that is also the benefit to doing multiple uh, tournaments per year also means that the better players in slam ball have an opportunity to hone those skills so that when new people come along who are just maybe more physically aggressive or or have more uh, certain assets, the guys who are top level talent can maintain their spots because they've got those reps in and developed a skill set for, for the game. We've talked players. Let's talk a little bit about refereeing because I think both of you had some concerns online after week one that there were calls being missed or the wrong calls being made. Week one to week two, have we seen a, a development and an improvement from the refereeing side of things? We'll start with Coach Bear this time. Uh, I'm going to be very complimentary of the officiating uh, that this like, is like a coach, the... <laughs> like a coach would be like, a <laughs> here we go. Okay. Yeah. Good skits. Um, yeah. You, you've got to be politically right on this. Um, here, here's what I'm going to say. And, and this is a quote from my best friend in the entire world, Hernando Planels. This is the most difficult game to referee that no one else has ever seen before. So after week one, yes, I was very disappointed with the officiating in week one. I thought there were just um, honestly, very basic calls missed. Now, I held my breath and said, you know what, let's give them the benefit of the doubt going into the next week after they watch film. I think I think the refereeing has gotten a lot better. I will always be the advocate of the drifting call um, and, and maybe tenasium, uh, but I think it has gotten better. I think the coaches have gotten better with the officiating. I think some teams took advantage of coaches not knowing the proper rules. Um, but I think it's gotten better. I, I really do. I would rather have guys be more consistent than just these random calls being made. And I think we're seeing a lot more consistency. Now, maybe a former player will see it different than a coach, but that's just where I'm at. I, I have been impressed with the the quality of officiating and how much better it's gotten. I, I agree that it, it improved from week one to week two. And I think just like the players, the referees will improve as well. There are three main calls that I have that I've had issues with, just consistent issues with. Number one is drifting, right? Which is obviously the stopper moving ahead. And we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Number two is the jumps and jumping into the trampoline, right? There is a, um, the idea is that when you leave your feet, you're supposed to not to be, not to be touched. But there are many times where a foul is called before a player has left their feet, right? They're, they're getting ready to get in and, the, and contacts made, and then they get called for a foul. They have not left their feet yet. They've just picked the, up the ball. They've just right. The they, ball they've just them. picked up the ball. They're about to jump, but their foot's still on the ground. That's a legal hit. Even if they land in the trampoline, that's still a legal hit. So that's number two. Number three is the uh, reset of the ball off the glass. Right. Every time somebody, every time you come out of the glass, every time you come out of the trampoline, you're supposed to play the ball off the glass and kind of reset your dribble. That's being done. But what happens is, and, and I've noticed this several times, where a player will put the ball down. And, and they'll dribble. Then they turn their back to the defender and the defender applies pressures on it, keeps that pressure on them. And I saw what in, in one instance over the weekend where a player was driven into the glass and he was called for a legal contact because he put pressure in, by on the back. 
Buzzsaw well, game, Barnes, buzzsaw game. Yep. 100%. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That was a legal play. Should have been fine. He should have been drifted. His, his face should have been put against the glass because as soon as you put that down, even if you pick up your dribble, you're dead meat, right? I know. I've been hit. Is right? that regardless so, of the fact that the rules are so focused on contact has to come in front of the shoulders defensively, that this is coming from behind the player, regardless of the amount of contact, that's still contact in the back. That should be a foul in the referee's playbook. But what if I if I put the dribble down? Let's say I, I Michael Jordan it or I Charles Barkley, and I put the dribble down and I dribble down the court like this. You can't hit me now, right? Mm. That's that's the total exploitation of the rule. And I mean, if I was... That's exactly what I would do. If that's the rule, you can only hit me from here to here. I would turn my back and go down the court this way. And I'd set, set up the offense with my face, with my chest facing the other way. Right? For audio listeners, Craig's got a chair with wheels and he's really painting the picture for us as he goes off camera. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, it's it's important because I think that if you start and then you turn your back, you, you're still liable to be hit. You should still be hit because there's no there's no reason why I wouldn't turn my back. It's It's a natural thing when you have contact to protect yourself. But the problem is that that puts the defender at a, uh, in a really tough spot because, Hey, Oh, I turned my back. I got to stay back. No, that's, that's not the way the game should be played. Um, and it's, it's tough to see that. So those are the three big things that I've had issues with as far as there's been severe inconsistencies with all those. Are Sam or Skits, are any of you guys concerned with the shot clock violations? I, I seem to seem it seems like it's an epidemic and I don't know if it's because of, you know, if you watch college basket or pro basketball, you know how like on the basket they have that slam ball sign on the sides. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they should put like in college basketball or pro basketball, like the, the clock or shot clock on there. Uh, some Somewhere guys are not seeing the shot clock properly. It just seems like we're having a lot of shot clock violations. So, so, and I can't figure it out either that we're not figuring out to hit the rim or something. I don't know. So but that, that's from, one of the. Without, without having been in the arena and having seen the setup in depth, Looking from a production standpoint, left-hand side from where the camera is facing, there is the the LED screen, there is the, the big board that's showing the live feed, is showing the scores, and does have at the bottom of it a shot clock for players to keep an eye on. From what I have seen, that is not present at the other side of the court. So I think players going in this direction inherently have a disadvantage. But that being said, I'm noticing more shot clock violations going the way where there is a clock. So I'm not sure if it's just teams aren't aren't able to see that when they're on the floor, if they're just not as concerned about it this season. Um, I definitely think, I don't think it's that they're hitting the rim and then the clock's not being reset. I think it's just they're not getting a shot off in time. Got it. I, Got it. I, I, feel, I feel that when it comes to shot clock, there's multiple layers to this conversation, right? The original NBA shot clock was created when when they the reason why they got to 24 seconds was they went in and they counted the number of shots that took place in a game and it averaged out to one shot every 24 seconds. That's why the shot clock originally existed at 24 seconds. In slam ball, it's kind of an arbitrary number, right? It was 15 seconds. Now it's 20 seconds. And I think they, it should be adjusted. The big difference between basketball and slam ball is that basketball, the offense is ri- origin, uh, usually originates at the top of the key, right? It doesn't start in the paint most of the time, like right in the center of the paint. Whereas in slam ball, that's where a lot of the offense originates from. You you, you got to go to the to the middle of the paint, right? The island. And that takes a lot of time. You know, when the ball comes down, it'll take three, four, five seconds before the before a play is initiated, right? And that really only gives you time to to go uh through one or two reads on on a, you know, uh based off of once you're on that island. You only have three seconds while you're on there. So 
I think there's a larger larger question to be asked about about the island and island play as a whole and how and how big of an emphasis there needs to be is and I think that if teams put less of an emphasis on the island itself you'd see a whole lot less shot clock violations right because they need to get into that position to set up the scoring and that takes up a lot of time and even when you're there like you say three set there's a lot to keep track of okay yeah. We've talked about refereeing. We've talked about week one to week two. Another big thing we were talking about in week one is whether or not the league has an injury problem. Now, I think week two, there's been a lot less of that. We have seen a couple of guys leave games with little things, but these are guys who had already been hurt in week one and we're just trying to play through the pain. I think that means that's, you know, those are ones that we have to consider slightly differently. Um, in terms of players who, to my knowledge, have got injuries after week two, this is the slate of players that we've got. And you'll notice a theme with the first four names. Ty McGee in concussion protocols for the Wrath. Christian Gray with a knee injury for the Wrath. Stephen Julian III with an ankle injury for the Wrath. Sean Stith with something wrong with his knee, potentially, for the Wrath. We then have Bryce Moraine with an ankle injury for the Lava, which has bothering, been bothering him since preseason. Bakari Copeland has been out from the Rumble lineup with some sort of injury. And then Darius Clark with a chest bruise for the mob this weekend. We also have two players who never got to play in the league because they were injured preseason, but they're still contracted to their particular teams. So that's basically, this is from my understanding, that's the breakdown of injuries. There could be some I've missed. There could be some of those that have since healed up. Do we still think that there is an injury uh, epidemic within Slam Ball, or is it just within the RAF team specifically? <laughs> I'll Both go first. You yes. take that. Yeah, please. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about that because I've seen that floating around on Twitter. Um, there, slam ball is a professional sport and it's a very physical sport. Yes, you're going to see some injuries in slam ball. It, it's just how it's going to be. I mean, if you look right now in the NFL and preseason training camp, Miami Dolphins are, are without their entire starting secondary. Uh, uh, the top quarterback out here, Burrow, is hurt. Uh, slam ball, you're going to see injuries. I think it's just that's how it's going to be. I don't think there's an epidemic. I feel bad for the RAF. I mean, I they're playing without some of their best guys. Um, Skits might have a different take on this. I, I, my take is it's slam ball. It's a physical sport. It, you're going to have injuries happen, and I think it's just part of it. Um, again, that goes back to, you know, once slam ball really gets going, you're going to have better guys that are going to be out there to pick up as free agents. That, that's just my take on it, and it's a quick take, but Skits might have something longer to say about it but that's where i'm at before craig jumps in just because it's something that he and i talked about last week um the size of the player pool for slam ball um was decreased this season compared to previous instead of eight men on a roster it's now seven and in terms of uh injury pool there are four players on a taxi squad who i would guess at this point are all now playing for the raf um do you think that that's an oversight on the league to reduce to that number or do you think that's a necessity for production costs uh, I don't know. I don't know on either of those questions, to be quite honest. I, I think they, they just made their decision on the number. Um, and, and that's, and that's the, it's been a while. I mean, I, I think everything you adjust and you make, you make adjustments. I, I think uh, Rob and, and who's running a lot of that stuff, Rob's going to be very smart and calculated on what, what the next season is going to look like. And, and it's like anything, you know, in any sport, you, you are going to make adjustments to things that worked and didn't work. And I think, I think yes, you're going to see more players available in the free agent pool, and I and I think it's it's just going to be part of slam ball. I I, I don't want to make a big deal of the injuries. Um, I, I'm not a big fan, and Skits will probably touch on this. I'm not a big fan of playing back to back games, but 
I have no say in that, and that that's just how it is. But I, I am not concerned with the injuries. I, it's a pro sport. It, people are going to get hurt. What about you, Craig, from week one to week two? Injuries, is that an issue, or is that just part of the game? Um, Along with what Bear said, playing back-to-back games is really tough, right? And people, you're more often, you're more likely to get injured when you're tired. And when you're playing back-to-back games, I would like to see a breakdown of of what it looks like uh, from injuries from the first game to the second game, how often those injuries happen. Um, I, you know, in hindsight, right, I think we can all look at this and say, I would have much rather had six teams with 10 people on them than eight teams with seven people on them. Because I think, you know, it goes back to the um, the conditioning aspect of it. Slam ball is a hard sport to get conditioned for, right? Jumping under tramps, it's a different type of of feel. You know, it, it takes a different movement uh, that, that your body's not used to. So when you're jumping in the tramps, coming in, coming out, going from a flat surface to a bouncy surface and, and all the gravity and everything attached to that, it's hard. It takes a lot out of you. Look, I, I agree with Baron that, look, this is a professional sport. People are going to get hurt. But I do think that uh, there are some precautions that could definitely be made from week to week, um, which it's great to hear that that they're taking the the steps with uh, concussion protocol and and injuries and things like that. I think that's obviously we've learned a lot about that in 20 years uh, and head injuries and such. Um, but I think that that would be my main critique. But hindsight's 2020 at this point. We'll see what they do moving ahead. Okay, perfect. We do not know how injuries are going to affect the teams going into weekend three. The league has not yet set up a way in which they can broadcast recovery to to its audience, to fans. And I think that's a, an interesting thing to, to deal with because in, in professional sports outside of slam ball, you have independent teams owned by different people. You have a team of journalists that are covering that particular team who even if the team doesn't want to release the injuries, there is someone there who can find those details. Here it is all privately owned teams by the league itself. And it is by their discretion whether or not people know or don't know about injuries. I think the fact that they're doing, they've said that they're going to do daily health and, and well-being checkups. They should get this information out a lot faster than when it comes game time for those teams on any given week. And commentary just happens to mention what the injuries are, who's out, who's not out. Especially because some of the games over the weekend, players were missing from starting lineups. And we didn't hear about what was going on with them until the second quarter. Which I well, think from... Damn. Yes, Sam, I'm going to jump on what you're saying. If, if, if we are going to be allowed to bet on slam ball, a, a betting person that's really into betting is going to need to know the injuries. Because if I'm going to go bet on the slashers and all of a sudden I find out their stoppers not playing, you've got to know that information. If we want this to be a legit betting opportunity, because you, you just got me thinking about that. Um, somehow we need to have like a transaction report out there. I mean, we have these days off where we lead into the broadcast on Thursday, Friday. Something's got to be put out because there are people that are going to be betting on this where they made a big deal about it on the broadcast with the head of the casino. Mm -hmm. If I'm a guy, I really want to be able to know if so-and-so is playing, if so-and-so is not playing. That That's a big deal in terms of betting and putting your money out there on this sport. And so part I, of the thing with I, that is, is that's exactly where I was about to go with it, is that it's one thing for us to say it as people who are really invested in this thing, who maybe just have a favorite team. For example, I picked the Wrath preseason. I'd love to know if my if my starting four is going to be out there or not. That's one thing. And it, 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 at the end of the day, wouldn't matter. It would be the league's discretion. But the fact that they are touting the betting aspect so highly that that has been a big focus of them being in Vegas and it being live so you can bet, I think that this is an oversight that maybe the league still needs to catch up with. But they're obviously, I think, their entire 
PR and, and whatnot, their, their social media team is all people who have come into this thing relatively late on, and they're still catching up with all the things that you need to do as a pro sports league. Um, in terms of in terms of that, I mean, back in your guys' day, there was no social media team. There was no PR rep that was at the same level as what they've got now. So I want to know, what have we got in Slam Ball today that is marketably different from when you guys were in the league? I want to know that off the top. What is the biggest differences between Slam Ball then and Slam Ball now? And we'll start with you, Craig, because I know you've got a lot to say about the bottom tramp in particular. Yeah, obviously, they've widened the court. Uh not considerably wider, but uh, a little bit wider, which I think allows for uh, for the four-point line, which is something that's obviously new this time around. Um, previously, all shots from outside the trampolines were, were worth three as well. Uh, now with the four-pointer, that's pr pretty good. And it's a pretty good distance away. So, you know, you're talking outside the three-point, the NBA three-point line. Uh, the biggest thing is the, is the bottom tramp. Uh, the bottom tramp is noticeably larger than uh, than it was when when we played a long time ago um and i actually wanted to kind of pull up a pull up an example of this uh this is the bottom tramp what it looks like currently in slam ball you can see you see the size of it right here in comparison to the uh the center x and how far that goes out it's probably uh you know uh i think these are four by eight four by eight trampolines right these are eight eight feet wide four feet wide uh four feet eight feet long four feet wide uh, and I'm going to say this is probably a six six by eight trampoline here. Um, and as you look at this, there's a ginormous difference, no, both in the size of the trampoline and the island itself. When you look at a game from uh, 2003, look at how much noticeably smaller the bottom tramp is. And the reason why this is important, it goes back to one of the one of the rules that we talked about was the drifting rule. Now, the drifting rule is is put in is uh, designed for when the stopper goes up. Their job is to literally put their body between the ball and and the hoop. Um, I was horrible at this. I was, I, I mean, I got dunked on more than anybody in the league, probably. But uh, so so I have an appreciation for this. But I do think that with the larger tramp, it is going to be considerably easier to to get in front and put your body in between. Whereas if you look right now, if somebody's jumping, they're jumping from this from this bottom line here, and that bottom line will send them straight up in front of the rim. Whereas if you look at where that bottom line was here, that bottom line was sending you back behind the behind the backboard. So you needed to line up on this front line here just to get uh, a, a vertical uh, a vertical stop in front of the rim if somebody's coming in from the top tramp or the side tramp, uh, specifically on the, on the top tramp. So when somebody drifted, if a stopper drifted, you would know because they would drift and they would move forward and land on the island. Whereas now. Look at how much land there. I mean, that's that's a good four feet. So mm. you're you're seeing stoppers who are taking off here, and there's a there's a foot or two in between their back and the rim. So that allows for tremendous opportunities for stoppers to get stops, which is probably why there's been such a high success rate uh, from from the stopper position this year. For clarification in terms of size for the different tramps, the three spring beds that are at the sides and the top measure 7 by 14 feet, and the one at the base is 10 by 14. So it's a three-foot difference for that bottom yeah. tramp. I don't know where I got four by eight from. I don't know where I got that, but yeah, it, it's a... It, it's it's a no, What's the bottom one again? I'm sorry. It's 10 by 14. All the others are 7 by 14. So you have an extra 18 inches on each side of of the takeoff takeoff area. Plus, it looks like the trampoline has been moved up a little bit further um than than what it was previously so th that's like the that's the biggest and most glaring change from somebody who used to watch and played the game back then 
Um, I don't know, Coach, what, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I've been pretty vocal about the drifting. Um, and, and so I, I watched a lot of it today. I think you you hit the nail on the head, Skits. The, the bigger bottom tramp is allowing the stopper to look like they're drifting because they are so far out in front of the rim. Um, you know, great example. I, I love the kid. I think he's a great slam ball player. Gage Smith of the mob. He tends to really have good timing, but he takes full advantage of the bigger tramp. And it's it's not where you're jumping from. It's like you've got to really watch where they're landing. And a lot of these guys are landing outside of that square. And I've paused a lot of stuff and took pictures of it and looked at it. These guys are like way out in front of the rim. It's almost impossible to go from that side tramp into the rim like it was back in the old days. I mean, that's just kind of what the conclusion I came up with. So part of me, I think they are drifting, but I think this bigger tramp has allowed them to get way out in front of the rim and make it almost impossible. And you're not seeing those crazy collisions because of the small tramp. It used to be just, I mean, the Adam Hookers and George Birds of the world were, I don't know, I would love to see those type of guys back. I just don't know if we will. I mean, Gage Smith might be the prototypical stopper now. Um, but, you know, I, I think early they were drifting quite a bit. I think it's gotten better. But after watching it today, the, the bigger tramp is is made it really difficult um, for the offensive player and has made it a lot better for the stopper, to be quite honest. Kevin Cassidy would not have been scored on with this tramp. Like the, he he was he had such a ridiculous knack for the ball. And like I said, uh, you know, as, as far as, uh, you know, Gage Smith goes, like I, I think he's outstanding, like an outstanding player, gunner and stopper. And he's playing within. He's playing the game that that's put out in front of him, right? And so I don't blame him at all, right? So and and having that that larger trampoline is just is just so so paramount to how much the game has changed. And you know you saw this with uh, you know the you know obviously basketball the free throw lane uh, wider, you know with with different players and such. Um, I'm interested to hear why they decided to change it. Was it a was it a safety issue? Did they were people uh, hitting their heads on the rim? Because you know that happened. You know people hit their shoulders and such on the rim, but I mean. Is it a good idea? Sure, but I think the game has changed because of it. Okay. How do we feel about uh, the, the big thing I took away from this weekend, or one of the biggest things I think the people who are really paying attention to slam ball took away, was the Griffins' defensive strategy against the Slashers, where they threw two stoppers into the bottom tramp. How do we feel about that as a strategy? Because we've talked about the benefits that a bigger bottom tramp can have on the defensive end, on the offensive end, it sort of means that there's a lot more room for the offense to maneuver around. And the Griffins thought, we've got a great idea to take up that room. Let's throw two six-foot-five-plus guys in there. How do we feel about that strategy, Coach Bear? I found it funny on, on the broadcast. They said it, this is like a new thing that's never been thought of. I mean, I think as coaches, we all thought of it. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the in, you want inside slam ball information. I know as coaches, we talked about, what do you think if we put two soppers? Would they ever score? I thought it was it was genius because the tramp is so much bigger. You you can use two stoppers out there. Uh, you know Jelani. I, I, you know I'm I'm one of the big advocates for Jelani. I think Jelani was one of the best players who ever played the game. That dude was unbelievable. So he's got a great mind. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, I I found it kind of comical that it was like oh this has never been thought of before. We we have all thought of it. It's just how do you actually do it? Um, was it effective? It made sense. Was it effective? Is the next question. Didn't it, seem it, like it, it was was for a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll you, say this. 
Coach, let, let me kind of echo what you're talking about with uh, with Jelani. So Jelani played for the Rumble back in the day and Coach Carter. And one of their plays was they would send somebody down into the tramp that from from an outside trampoline, and they would they would drop the ball off. The person who just who jumped into the tramp would more or less go in and take out your stopper, and then they drop the ball off for for the trailing player who would come in for a pretty easy dunk. That was like case in point rumble rumble slam ball back in the day it happened all the time uh and uh i think that's what jelani was probably thinking about you know it's maybe a counter to that and, and just i mean it's it's creative yeah and i i i actually remember you know those conversations like what if we did two stoppers you know what if we had that play so it, it's definitely not that i think it's the first time it's been implemented definitely not the first time it's been talked about do you think we'll see it again, or do you think the fact that the Griffins went on to lose that game, and even with the two stoppers, there was some benefit to it? I, I question whether or not it was a, a strategy purely because the Slasher's offense comes from a lot of two-man drives into that bottom tramp, and is this specifically to deter them from doing that? Um, do you think we'll see it again at some point this season, or because the Slashers went on to win that game quite decisively, do you think that's the end of two stoppers? I like that they did Jelani tried it. I mean, if we really want slam ball to keep progressing, you got to try different things. I mean, slam ball just can't be drive into the slide tramp and just try to go right at the stopper every time. I mean, it, it's got to keep getting be different. Um, I hope different things get tried. I, I mean, something that's not really seen by the common fan, the slashers, because Stan is their coach, and you know, they've got Kevin Stapleton as the the whatever the 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 helper or whatever he's doing as the assistant. Kevin Stapleton is the most underrated best coach in slam ball. He might be a very tough personality, but Kevin understands slam ball. And then you add in maybe the greatest slam ball player who ever played, who understands the game like Stan. The Slashers do a great job of that second guy coming in. He gets his knees really high, and they do a great job on that backside stuff because of the way Stan and Kevin have taught him. They get their knees really high on that second bounce in there. Uh, something that I picked up and something that I got from – uh, watching film. Um, I like that Jelani tried it. I mean, if we don't try stuff, the sport's never going to progress. I mean, that's why you you got to love Brendan Kirsch and the stuff that they're doing and, and the, the the actions that they're doing. Because if Brendan tries, that means uh, somebody else is going to try. Carlson's going to try it in the league. And it's just going to keep getting better. So I was cool with what Jelani did. I mean, yeah, it didn't work out in his favor. But, I mean, you got to try stuff. I mean, that's how you that's how you get better at the sport. Okay, perfect. Something you mentioned during that conversation, Coach Bear, was talking inside slam ball, talking about things that maybe the common fan doesn't necessarily know about. We've had conversations about things that are being talked about behind closed doors. We talked about um, Priest, like after weekend one, that other teams' coaches were asking referees about Gage Smith and drifting. What are some things you can tell us as someone who's involved with the league still, who knows the coaches, who knows the organization, what are some things that are being talked about that maybe the common fan just has no understanding or knowledge of? Yeah, I'm not going to give away some secrets, but um, <laughs> uh, the island play is, is a big thing amongst the coaches and, and how to utilize that. And I think the big thing is what coaches are trying to figure out is if you catch it on the island, you're not allowed to touch them. So a lot of guys, if you're really smart, I mean, there's two old school guys that are coaching Hernando and um, and Brendan. If you catch on the island and you're standing on the island as a defender and you just make a movement into that defender, that's a foul. So I know I know those old school guys are going to take advantage of that. 
you, you know, the, the big thing for me is just from hearing from the way slam ball is progressing, Stan, Stan was the guy that taught these guys how to play slam ball. And I, I think you're seeing a lot of Stan's influence out there with the jumping and bouncing of the ball and doing that stuff, which is great. I mean, I, um, I, I think that was one thing. The island play is a big major thing this year. It's always getting to the island. Um, and yes, yeah, I mean, that was the talk amongst the coaches was the drifting. And, um, you know, uh, so that, that's my inside scoop. I don't have, I don't have much other than that, other than I really think the Slashers are going to be a team that's going to really surprise people and get better and better. That's my insight from Kevin Stapleton. So that's that's my really my one big secret. So okay. kids, I don't know. Are, are you seeing anything that I'm seeing? Is there am I missing well, anything? Well, there, there's something that was brought to me in passing yesterday that I really want to get your your touch on because the person that mentioned it then didn't elaborate. And that was that the buzz see themselves as a team that is not well liked by the rest of the league. And as an outside person, I don't see what that is. I understand where people like um, Coach Planells and I were getting into on Twitter, where they feel like they're not getting the same respect as other teams from the people that are covering this sport. But I wasn't understanding where the team is coming from when they say that they are not well liked by the rest of the league. That's something that I would like love to understand to a better degree. I'll say this. I, I talk to Hernando every day. I mean, he's my best friend. I have never heard him say anything about that. I think I am I am a big fan of his stopper. I think he's not getting much respect maybe around the league, but that's just me. I like him. Um, I, I don't think it's anything like the Trevor Anderson, James Willis. Like, they don't like each other. I think that's a real dislike with each other, but not liking the buzzsaw. I, I don't know. Uh, Sandy is one of the nicest guys in the league who's Hernando's assistant. I think Hernando's well-regarded as one of the nicest guys. Um, I know he bought everybody Father's Day gift cards to Starbucks. So, I mean, I don't I mean, maybe they took exception. It was Starbucks. Um, I haven't heard Hernando say anything like that. I think Hernando's team is where he wants them to be under the radar and people not really talking about them. I, I think maybe the league is the mob is really good. Skits, maybe add on this, but I think there's a lot of mob talk. And I think maybe that there's a lot of mob talk, which is perfectly fine. I right. know you want to you want to get onto that subject here in a little bit, but. I have not heard that about the buzzsaw. That I know inside stuff, and I've never heard that. Right. So I, I don't know. That sounds to me like uh, like something a coach coach would say to get their team riled up, you know, and be like, "Well, we're really being disrespected by everybody," and and it kind of it's gets your coach gets your team to buy in, you know. I, I haven't heard it either, so that's just what it sounds like to me. That's fine. You mentioned <laughs> the mob there, Coach Bear. We will talk about them now because there is a lot of talk about them. But there is a reason there's a lot of talk about them. They're the only undefeated team still in the league at 8-0. Not only that, but they're the only team that are averaging more than 60 points for per game and under 35 points against per game, meaning that they have a total point differential of 219. To put that into perspective for viewers at home, the next best in the league is the Buzzsaw with 32. So like over 150 plus is of difference. And then the next best after that are the 0-4 Lava, who are averaging? Uh, they they're at minus thirteen, and they are they've not won a game yet. They're averaging uh, a loss of three and a quarter points per game, which sucks if you're a love fan. Really harsh for them thus far. But what do you think it is about the mob that makes them seem so much better than other teams? And we'll go with Craig to start, just because we talked with Bear a lot in that last segment. Well, slam ball is a game, and we we're talking about the uh, the number of players that can come in and, and lose, and you know start start with a new new crop of players and stuff. But slam ball is a really unique sport because not only do you have to 
know the equipment of the game, you know, how to, how to get on a trampoline and such, but it's so predicated on timing. And here's actually a really good example, uh, something I wanted to share here. This is the, this is what the mob do exceptionally well. Uh, and you're going to see a, a foul was, is a, a foul happens here, but they have th multiple options. So their handler brings the ball in, right? And he's, he, there's zero threat that he's going to go to the hoop at this point. It's a soft, soft jump in. He's very clearly going to go to the island. So what you're going to see here is, is two main options. Here's the first option. He's fouled going into the trampoline right here. But what you don't see is, is this guy hanging out over here on this side. Watch, watch what he's doing right here. He actually, he's actually getting ready to time his jumps. He's not even in the play. So they have, what they're looking to do is have, have multiple streakers come down. So, and that's what the mob do incredibly well. So they have one option here, which you've seen, you've seen where they throw this lob vertically right here over the top. And if they miss that, guess what? They got this guy coming in because guess what happened off this first lob? If he didn't throw it, the stopper still came in and committed. So guess what? This guy comes in from the side tramp. He got a lob over here and the stopper's out. It's easy peasy, right? So, and this is this is one thing that the mob do, are doing that that the uh, other teams in the league are not. You can see him making that making that cut right there, you know. And and then so they're running a, a, a three person offense, you know, with their with their stopper back, you know, with Smith back there. He's, he doesn't even need, need to be attached or or involved. Uh, but that's one of the things that the that the mob do incredibly well, and it's all built around timing, practice. And getting the movement right. Whereas right now, I feel you see a lot of the other teams. Um, what they're trying to do is make make cuts from the island. They'll 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 they're looking for a, a cut from the outside tramp to the bottom tramp for like a bottom tramp dunk. Well, that's not going to work because because all that's going to happen is the stopper is going to popcorn them. Right. Everything the mob do is predicated off timing and off off the outside tramps, and that's one of the biggest things that the mob uh, mob are doing that the rest of the, the rest of the league is not. And on that note about timing, Coach Bear, do you think that the timing is a thing that's been coach like drilled into them? Is this a sign of a really good coaching strategy from Coach Kirsch that other teams maybe haven't caught on to? Or is it just that he's picked the right guys who can implement this strategy because they already have that timing down? I'll go twofold. To one, Brendan is very good at scouting. I think Brendan does a good job with his drafting and knowing the type of players that are going to fit in his system. Because it's all about a system. I think a lot of these guys do play their own system or who they played for, especially that we have a lot of the former players. Um, like Trevor's, I think they're they're wanting to be who would he play for the uh who they play, who would Trevor play for? The mob. mob. Mm -hmm. I think you want to be like the mob. I mean, James Willis, you know, I think has some rumble mentality and and uh, but Brendan picks great players. He picks guys that fit what they're gonna do. Uh he picks some guys with some attitude. Uh, their timing is great. I think just Brendan thinks of the game, and I think a lot of guys are now trying to do what the mob are doing. Some, some, some of the stuff I'm watching, there's some, a lot of mob tendencies out there. I think Brendan is just ahead of – he's ahead of the curve right now in, in terms of the league. I think what is happening, though, and, and I'm going to go on record saying I think teams are going to catch up. I don't know if they're going to catch all the way up, but they're going to catch up. I, I think there is a way to beat the mob, and uh, I think somebody knows it, and I think somebody is holding on to that strategy uh, for the playoff time. Uh, I think Brendan was very, very bold. And we're, we're talking skits like is the player talk. I'll talk the coaches talk. Brendan was very bold in saying that no one could beat them only than themselves. You know, slam ball is a funny sport. You know, we talked about injuries. All it takes is one or two guys to get hurt and going into Bingo. the playoffs. And that, and that is a very bold statement to make. Brendan might be exactly right. Maybe if they stay healthy, no one will beat them. But, boy, I would hate to have bulletin board material going into the playoffs because there, 
there are some coaches out there are very wise and are saving some strategy. You don't want to show everything. Uh, Brendan has shown everything. I mean, he has shown everything that you can do in the game of slam ball, and he's done it very, very well. But um, is there a level to that that's intimidation? The score differential is so huge. Is there an element to this that other teams are going, what's the point? We're not, you know, even if we get them in the playoffs, how are we going to compete with that? Do you think that's part of the strategy of running up scores as well? Absolutely. I mean, if I'm as good as Brendan, I'm going to do the same thing that Brendan's doing. I think he's doing a great job with it. It's great TV. It's great for the viewer. He's got a lot, lot of mob fans, and all these mob fans want to see them just kill people. Uh, but I think, I think, and Skits, you, he touched on it very early on, the league is going to get better as we go. How are the mob going to continue to just get so much better that they're going to beat people just like as a drum right now? I, I don't know. I think that's what's going to be the great fun thing to watch as this league goes on into the playoffs. Is the mob going to continue with this dominant success? I have been around slam ball. Skits has been around slam ball for a long time. There's a lot of dominant teams that all of a sudden get to the playoffs and the, the, somehow the pace becomes slower. Guys make plays they're not supposed to make. It's very hard being the favorite. And maybe Brendan is relishing that. I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, I, I love it. I love that he's given us something to talk about because uh, I mean, he threw that out there on on your cast on your podcast saying that, and that was like for everybody to see. So he he's smart, um, but I think it's going to make for an entertaining end of the season. On this as well, you mentioned the dominance, Craig. Do you think the dominance of the mob is a good thing for Slam Ball, or is it a hindrance for this league at the moment? No, I, I think you need you need your Yankees, you need your your '96 Bulls, you need your 2013 Warriors or whatever it was. You need these teams that that draw eyes because otherwise it's just a bunch of you know it's a bunch of dudes that you may have heard of one time you know uh, running around playing a game. But make a mistake, people like the mob is a cool name. Red and black pinstripes is a cool look, right? And you want your cool, you want to have a cool team, right? Lava, okay. Ozone, okay. M mob, that sticks with you. Hey, have you seen the mob? You know, have you seen the lava? No, no. Have you seen the mob? And you want that to sound cool. And they and they are. They're the cool league. They're they're uh, they're they're the cool team in the league. But to echo what what Bear said, it just takes one injury. If if, if Smith goes down and he he gets hurt, twist an ankle coming down. I mean, there's a lot of contact uh, as a stopper. You come down, you get you land wrong, right? Oh man, bummer! There goes your season. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're you're uh, you're having to squeak by. And it'd be interesting to see if if coach uh, gives some of his, some of his reserves an opportunity to uh, to play uh, and and get a little more time. Because well, I think I, I think Coach Bear very kindly mentioned my interview with Coach Kirsch, which you can still catch on Bounce Off here on YouTube and on podcasting apps. But one of the things he said in that interview was, "Everyone on my team knows they're replaceable." I would wager that the exception to that rule may be Gage Smith because of what he brings this team. We did see over the weekend that Deontay Bird is getting some minutes at the stopper position, but that's largely when the score has already been ridden up high, and that's because their secondary option at Gunner is, oh, it's Gage Smith who's now averaging nine points per game because he's playing a different position. So you talk about injuries, Craig, and one injury can change the whole complexion of the thing. Do you think if Gage Smith goes down, first of all, how good is he in his role? We talked about it a little bit earlier. And secondly, is that the linchpin that if he goes down, this team could start to struggle? I think he's he's the most fundamental best player in the league. He's not the most exciting player in the league, but he's the fund most fundamental best player in the league. And I, I think he is he's the Tim Duncan. He's the Djokovic, right? Uh, not not Djokovic, but uh, no, um, the guy for Jokic. the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, Joe. Sorry, I was thinking tennis. Uh, but um, <laughs> he's the dude that 
you know, it, he's very fundamental, makes great plays, uh, is can play any position. Um, but, you know, I, I think that slam ball works better with when small guys dunk, right? When your five foot six player uh, goes up and he's and he's dunking and hanging on the rim, it just looks cooler. They're higher off the ground and all that stuff. So, uh, but I do think that he is the best player in the league currently. Okay. Let me jump on that, Sam. If you look at the past champions of slam ball, the cool guys are the ones that were winning. Slashers with Adam Hooker. Adam Hooker was not a cool dude. That dude just was a warrior. Uh, George Bird did. They, they won it right with mm-hmm. the Riders. Yep. The Riders. George Bird was not the cool guy. George Bird was the big strong guy as the stopper. And uh, you look at the last two champions. Those guys were just studs. Gage, Gage is a stud. I mean, we could talk all we want about the drifting and all that stuff. The dude just plays. He is really yeah. good. I much credit to Brendan on that draft pick. I I don't know what round he went, Sam. But I believe possibly third or fourth because I believe when I spoke to him, he said that their first pick was Cam Horton and they were really happy with him. And they'd said, well, if Darius Clark is still there, we'll get him. And they were like, oh, he's still there in the second. Cool. And then Gage was there in the third round and they got their top three picks, the guys at the top of their board in the first three rounds. Gage is a if, if slam ball what we think it's going to be. Gage is a franchise player, and he doesn't have, like skits. He's not cool. He's not flashy. The dude just wins. I love watching him. Like I love watching that kid play. Like he just gets it. Like there's nothing else to him just without winning. So um, I, I, that's why I like the mob. I mean, if they all stay what they're doing, I mean, they all know their roles. And Brendan's right. I mean, they're all replaceable. Brendan is, is a very good coach. I mean, let's not make any bones about that. Um, and I love I love the way he put it out there. So I'm all for it. Do you think just on the the all replaceable thing? Do you think that Gage even Gage is replaceable? We're talking about him as a the big fundamental of slam ball and like a guy that's important. Not now. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's, I think that's, that's, that's coaches talk. There's no way you're giving up Gage Smith. I, no, there's nothing you can offer for that kid. There's right. nothing. I mean, not having three future first round picks. That kid is that kid is what wins you a championship. Slam ball is very flashy and very cool. But those are the type of guys that ultimately win you a championship. When you look at what the mob do exceptionally well, they do it on offense. It's not on defense. It's it's Gage Smith playing defense as a stopper. That is making them look good on defense. The system is an offensive system. It's not a whole lot of defense in slam ball. That, that, that comes down to you one player being exceptionally good at timing timing and and knowing the nuances of of what the play is studying what's coming up next you know and uh i think just to kind of mirror what you were saying i, I think smith could could have played 20 years ago and he would have been just fine right um it doesn't matter what era he plays in he's he's still a stud player um but in, there there are some very good players in the league um but specifically with the mob i i, I do feel that what coach coach Kirsch is saying, and that's the reality with, with most sports um, and most players is that they, they are replaceable, but I think the system is what makes the mob unique, not necessarily uh, the players outside of Smith. Okay. And you talked about, there are some other great players in this league. We will talk about some of them now. I think I want to talk, start with coach bear on this because you mentioned Taekwon Scott earlier, the stopper for the buzz. You mentioned some people aren't very high on him. I feel like every time that comes up, I'm the person that's getting daggers for that, but that's fine. <laughs> what is it about him that you find exciting? And then we'll just talk about some other players and some teams that you guys are enjoying watching at the moment. But we'll start with Taekwon Scott, the buzz coach bear. You know, I, I watched him today, and uh, I think he's just getting better at his timing. There, there's something about the kid that I like. Uh, I, I think I might have been wrong on the stats. Isn't he like top top three or something in, in stops? Um, 
I like him. I look at him not from week two. I look at him like in two weeks from now. And I think he's just starting to get really, really good uh, and figuring out his role. And I think that's, you know, we talk about week one. Guys probably didn't know their role, really. They, they might think they know their role, but a lot of these coaches probably after week one watch film and say, all right, this is what you are. This is not what you think you are. This is who you are. And I think I think he just figured out I could be a really good stopper. And I, and I, I like him. Um, I, I think he's up there at the top of the – he's one of the top guys, right? In terms of stops, he is second in, in total, only behind Gage Smith. And in terms of LBRs, he is also second in total, only behind Gage Smith. Hmm. And something worth pointing out with that LBR stat – um, you also have Malik Abdul-Haq of the Buzz is third in the league in total LBRs, and Jamal Barnes Jr. of the Buzz is fifth in the league in total LBRs. So this is a team that, that's all about hustle. Well, you, you Skits, I don't want to take his time up here, but Barnes is, like, we can talk all you want about all Barnes is one of my favorite guys, maybe because I coached his dad, but uh, I love the Barnes kid. There, there's something about that guy. I think he is a superstar slam ball player, and he's tough, and he's got old school mentality. Um, but I, I love that kid. And I don't don't get. I, I seem to be talking only about the bus. I've got other guys on my list that I like that aren't bus saw guys. But you just happen to talk about Barnes. I love that kid. I, I think there's something spectacular about him. And he's becoming a fan favorite, especially with that performance at the weekend and their their late game win. Uh, over um, the lava. He was definitely a guy that was part of the energy of that and the audience was really receptive to him. Craig, who are some players that you're receptive to? Who have you got an eye on that you're really enjoying seeing play? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i going to echo Bear. I think Barnes is the best second-generation slam ball player uh, in the league right now, for sure. Uh, so I got three pulled up. I got I got uh, Barnes, obviously, for the buzz. Uh, I, I really like uh, Tippins Hill. Yeah. I think he's a he's really good, good player. Good player. Six, uh, Six foot seven, long, lanky, uh, and from Texas. What's up? Love that. Um, he, you know, what, what I look at is like, you know, like kind of their field goal percentage, um, what, it, what it looks like when they go to the hoop. And uh, so I think he's actually really good. And I think he's just playing on a bad team, which is, which is unfortunate. I think the Rumble are just not a, not a very good team. Um, and he's definitely their best scorer, though. He is currently fourth in the league in total points at 94, having only played five games. The three guys above him are Crosby, the second for the Slashers, who's played seven, Cam Hollins and Jamal Barnes Jr., who have both played in eight games. And then it's Kalen Tippinsell, who's only played in five. Funny you mention uh, Crosby. I, I he's he's my number one guy. I, I love this guy. He's so much fun to watch. Always playing with a smile on his face. He's got a ton of enthusiasm. And he's smart. Like, yeah, he's tiny. Yeah, he weighs nothing, but he's smart. And you, you see that just in, in the way he attacks. I mean, he, he gets to the hoop and it, he kills it on face-offs. I don't know if he's missed a face-off all season. He's been, uh, I mean, he, he, he may be perfect because he's fast and he's quick. And the way he, he doesn't go high because if he goes high, he's knocked into oblivion. He goes straight to it, you know, when, when he attacks. He's a really fun player to watch. He also, with his face-off strategy, the thing I notice is he has a very unique strategy compared to other players of that little stutter step start where he's just going a little bit and then he guns. And that totally throws off the timing for the stopper. I think you can impede that if the stopper or the defending player is allowed to go as soon as the offense starts their movement. I think if you've got a, a defensive player who's comfortable in maintaining their bounce in that bottom tramp, you can stop him. But not many people have that comfortability to maintain a bounce and get height when they need to. On that, he is 10 of 14 in offensive faceoffs so far this season. Most attempts in the league, most makes. After him, it's Cam Horton of the mob who's attempted 10 and made seven. So yeah, by far, Tony Crosby II is getting a lot of points on the faceoff section of the game. 
So let me give you let me give you two names, Skits. Hang on, let me give you two yeah, names. Yeah, fire away. How about this one? We have a lava fan, right? I'm telling you, this Shockley kid got really a lot better in this last games. I don't know what his stats are. I'm not really caring what his stats are. He looked much improved. Keep an eye on the Shockley kid. And I think no one, no one, I think I'm the only one out there. Am I the only one that loves this Justin Holmes kid? Or Holmes, yeah. No, I think he's kids. He's a stud. I think he's really good. I think the combination of Holmes and Jones for the Griffins are really good offensive players. It just feels to me that the Griffins don't have an offensive identity outside of give those guys the ball and see if they can score. Holmes has described himself and commentary has said this as a guy who's just very fundamentally sound. And you're seeing on the way he's maneuvering in the air to make some of his baskets go down. He is very good at that. It's just that the Griffins don't seem to have an offensive focus outside of, all right, Kai Sean. Justin, you go at them, and that's what we're going to work with. So Justin's interesting because the way, when you see him attack, he brings it to his left-hand side. This has been a consistent thing that I've seen over Every and over time. again. And, and if I was playing, I, I would definitely guard his left hand because he holds it with his left hand out. When he comes in, he cups it back, and then he brings it. And he almost, he'll, he'll occasionally bring it to his right, but he's always bringing it back to his left-hand side every single time when he goes when he goes to the hoop. There, there's something actually I, I wanted to talk about when we were talking about face-offs. Um, there was a, um, you, you talked about the uh, the delay, uh, the the interesting strategy of starting slow and, and speeding up. That actually is something that um, was not allowed back when I played. And I actually had this, this old face-off that I was in uh, that I wanted to show you because I, it was like a crawl that, uh, that I went to the hoop in. Because I, I got, I remember them being yelled at because, like, you have to keep the same cadence okay. going to the hoop. And this is not exciting slam ball by any means, but this was the this was the face off that I had. And just look okay. at how slow I I took to, went to the hoop. Took forever to get there, like forever, and um, that that couldn't be done today. So that's actually like a small but actually very important um, uh, rule change that hasn't been talked about either. Uh, yeah, that's something that I'm just looking at the rule book right now. There is nothing about they need to maintain a specific cadence. It's just you have to dribble the ball. Um, I know from the, the China leagues that you have to, once you start in a direction, you have to continue in that direction. You can't sort of pull back. We saw Tony Crosby II get done for a travel because he didn't like the way the ball was presented to him. That's one of those who's right in that situation is that him is the referee. One thing I want to point out about face-offs because we've not seen it yet this year, and I'm, I cannot wait for it, is that if it goes to overtime with this current league of slam ball, you go to a penalty shootout of face-offs. And I'm really excited to see that. Each team picks their one defensive guy, and then one-on-one, it's you go down the Rolodex of offensive players from best to worst, face on the defender, and once one team makes a mistake, that's game for them. Um, if the other team can capitalize. And I'm really excited to see that as a massive nerd for this. Will we see that? I don't think so, because in all the late game situations we've seen thus far, particularly with the Lava who have maybe been down in, in a game by three, they're going for four point shots because they want to try and win the game outright. They do not want to risk going to this face off penalty situation as much as I'd love to see it. Yeah. So what you're saying is you want to see Crosby versus Gage Smith. That's what you want sure, to see for, sure. for the world championship. Those two deciding the game. I think that would be great. I <laughs> agree. I will say that that's one thing that I actually am a little disappointed in in the league is the only one face off per period rule. Uh, I understand why they implemented it from a TV perspective, uh, but I, I think the face off is the most exciting part of the sport. Um, 
I would love to see more more players take faceoffs from the side as opposed to just straight on. Uh, but they must know something statistically that I don't know. We were seeing that from from the buzz certainly yesterday. They were taking a couple more from the side tramp, and it was it was disrupting the defensive position because they were like, well, okay, now I need to work this out. And like you said, it's are some players stronger on one side than the other, or do they want that maneuverability in the air where they can decide to go left or right from coming straight on? And there there is a difference to those two things. We've talked players. What about overall teams? What are some teams that you guys like right now? Uh, I'll go. I mean, obviously, let's. I mean, the the mob are great. Um, I think the Buzzsaw are are going to be a team that's going to be very tough to beat late. Um, and I've kind of touched on it. There's something about the slashers to me. I, the um, is it Amir Smith is their stopper? Is that who their stopper? I yeah. I liked him. I I really liked the way he looked. Um, and then you've got Stan and Kevin Stapleton. Um, and and I think that's two great minds right there. There's something about those the slashers. There, there really is, and and I, I, I don't like the disrespect that they're getting of that. Uh, Kevin's the last world champion. I know Sam, you and I had this talk on Twitter about it. Um, Kevin's won a world championship. Um, you cannot discredit that. Uh, and, and until somebody beats Kevin, now I know he's not the head coach. Stan is, and Stan's awesome, but I, I like seeing that old Kevin Stapleton in the background over there shaking his head constantly. Uh, just thinking through what it takes, but something about the slashers tell me they're going to be there at the end. I could be way wrong. I mean, who, who, we don't, we don't know, but something tells me the slashers at the, they're going to be around week one to week two. I think they proved to a lot of people that they deserve the title of minimum top three team. I think everyone's got obviously mob number one. Buzzsaw seems to be a pretty consistent. These are, this is the second best team, whether you want to talk about record where they are, or you just want to talk about watching the games. They seem like the second best slashers have cemented themselves as the third I think the contest for that would have been the Wrath if they weren't injured. But for me, uh, as of today, my personal power rankings that came out on Bounce Off, I've got the Wrath now down at eighth in terms of strength of team, purely because of the injury concerns. I think if you want to talk about the power a team has going forward, the Wrath are, their offense is shot now because they're now having to rely on two guys with a limited like options. Um, and if they were healthy, they are probably like top four team for sure, maybe third uh, but after week one, certainly. But after weekend two, it's just hard to see that. Gets or Sam, are we missing out on the Rumble? Are, are we just are we just no. discounting them, or what do we think here? No, 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 no. I, I think the Rumble are the worst team in the league, and I and I I think it's by a wide wide margin. I know they won one, but uh, I think when you look at the Lava, the Lava have found ways to lose. Um, they should have won their first game. They've they've really gone out of their way to. I mean, they should be at least two and two. Well, they should have they should have played more than four games. That's the one thing about this league that's really interesting is the more you win, the more games you play, right? Uh, whereas the lava, they just need more time on the court together. So they've only you know at this point the mob have played twice as many games as the lava and uh, the lava. They, I can think of uh, two games in particular, specifically the first game where there was a wide open. If you go back and you watch watch the first game. And you see Carlson, uh, he drew up a really good play, but it, it was a wide open lob that was just missed. And they would have won the game if they hit it. Uh, and that could have changed literally their entire season. But I think the Rumble uh, are the worst team by a large margin. And it's it's uh, I look at their strategy uh, solely at their strategy. They have they've high, they've been very reliant on the four point shot and their four point shot is not falling. Looking at their stats, they're seven for forty nine which is 14%. And you can't win in, in any league shooting 14% from four-point range. The reason why the three-point ball is is so so big in the NBA is because 
you know, if you shoot 50% from two and you shoot 33% from three, it's the same thing because you get the same number of points over the same amount of time, right? That's not the case with the four-point shot. The four-point shot is definitely outside of the Rumble player's range. And maybe they're shooting that many shots because they've been down for so long with an attempt to, to get back into it. But um, I have not uh, I've not bought into the Rumble one bit. To tack um, on very quickly to your four-point stat, Craig, you've said they're 7 of 49 from four. They're also 4 of 23 from three-point range. So it's not like they're any better when they're within that four-point line. It's consistent that their, their goal as a team is to shoot from distance and they're not able to make that. On a positive spin for that, I think they're maybe one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. But the only reason I'm noticing that is because there are so many opportunities to do that. And that's not necessarily a great thing. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, you see that all the time with, with in basketball is bad shot. Bad teams are really good rebounding teams because they're missing their shots and somebody's got to get rebounds, right? Um, so uh, if I was to power rank today, I, I would obviously put uh, put Mob and Buzzsaw one and two. Um, I think the Slashers are, are, are a really good team. Um, and I, I think it's Mob, Buzzsaw, Slashers, and then just everybody else, right? Um, and I think that's really what it's looking at. And I think the Lava are a middle-of-the-pack team that they just need more time uh, time on the court together. I agree with you, Sam. I think the Griffin really str have, are struggling with a, uh offensive identity, uh, whereas, you know, with the Ozone, I can't even really think of any any – Thing that I mean, I kind of like their jerseys. <laughs> but. Coach, Coach Bear, what do you think about any any teams we haven't really touched on yet? We've we've talked mob, we've talked buzz, we've talked slashers with you. Do you have thoughts on this Rumble team, on the Griffins, the Ozone, the Wrath? What what jumps out to you from any of these teams? Slam ball is interesting. I we took a, I took over an expansion team, so I, I understand it's tough. Slam ball. If you get on a losing streak, slam ball is like a unique sport. It's hard to break out of that losing streak. There's something about it. I just think that rumble, rumble are in that, and, and Ken Carter is used to winning. So I don't know what his. I haven't been inside the locker room to figure out what they're doing. Rumble are a very confusing team to me. They have a lot of length, a lot of size, and they shoot threes all the time, threes and fours. Um, Ozone, I, I don't know what their identity is. They they like to yell at the crowd and do all this stuff after they score. And I, I think they're just lacking identity. I There's something to me about, I'm a big, again, I, I say this earlier, I'm a big Jelani Janice fan. I think Jelani's going to somehow figure this thing out. Um, and I, I think they're going to, you're going to, I just, Jelani's a team I just wouldn't want to face because of Jelani. Like, like, maybe it's because I just remember him as a player and like, he's just a nightmare to deal with, but there's something about like Jelani and the winning side of things. I think he's going to figure it out. Um, that you know, Carlson. I think Josh has great ideas. I think they've just been like Skips was saying, very unlucky. Um, I, I sensed his frustration when they had a chance when when they had a chance there at the end again. Was it the buzzsaw right? And they kept shooting threes. You saw if you were inside of his huddle when they had him on the microphone, they were trying to get like a backside lob, and the kid just sat out there and took the three or the four. And you could see Carlson just kind of like go, what, what are we doing? Like that's that's why slam ball is such a unique sport. It's it's hard to get out of these ruts because it's not. I, I don't know. It's just it's a it's it can't, I can't explain it. But um, Jelani Jelani's going to be an outside pick for me to do something. He's going to beat somebody he's not supposed to. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just that's crazy coach talk. No, I think it's it's fair to talk that way, especially because they are touting themselves as a really good defensive team. Um, they're looking a little bit middle of the pack right now, but that's 
you know, given they are probably one of the bottom teams in the league, they are in terms of win percentage. Defensively, they're very good, which my understanding of Jelani Janice as a player, you'd assume that he'd be coaching well on the other side. So maybe there's just, you need to find a balance there. Um, what what team do you think, let's just throw this out there, what team do you think is going to be the playoff surprise? For obvious reasons, I believe playoff becomes single elimination. The way it's been broken down to me is the top two teams get a bye in the first round, the bottom two teams get eliminated outright, and then you'll have three versus six and four versus five to then play one and two. What teams do we think could be a surprise in that? I've been saying the last couple of days that if the Wrath can get healthy by playoffs, if they can just stay in playoff contention, if they're healthy by playoff time, they could be a surprise. But that all determines, like, is based on health. What do you guys think, Craig? Who do you think could be a team that shocks the world when it comes to the playoffs? Yeah, I'm I'm with Coach, and, and uh, I, I'll never bet on uh, against Stapleton or Shakes. I think the Slashers are, are kind of the dark horse that, you know, there's going to be this big this big shine on the mob the entire season, right? They've, they've established themselves for the, for the remainder of it as, uh, as the, you know, they're going to have the target book. Um, so I would say slashers and I, I don't, I don't think the rumble make the playoffs. Uh, I think the lava do sneak in. Um, and I, I would love to see, I would love to see Griffin, the Griffins in the playoffs, just because I, I think that, uh, you know, they, they have a really interesting, I, I like, I think Connor, Connor Hollenbeck, I think he's he's a good stopper as well. Um, I think they have some good pieces. They just kind of got to put it together. So, um, do do I think any of them can beat beat the mob? Not you know, in one game. It only takes one game, Craig. It only takes one game. But uh, when you're losing every game by forty, doesn't really <laughs> matter, does it? Yeah. Yeah, the mob are the outright Vegas odds-on vets to win this whole thing, and I would be shocked if they don't. I mean, they're they're just that good. Um, I just something about the slashers. Uh, I mean, I'll always go for the buzzsaw with Hernando. I think Hernando has a team that have bought into his what they want to do. And uh, but you know, it's it's we talked about the defensive side of things. All it takes in one playoff game is to have some team that's really fired up and amped up defensively. And all it takes is just that one game to make a game really sloppy, really ugly, and a couple breaks go here and there for defensive teams. Those are the scary. Those are scary teams. Like if I'm the mob, I don't want a real crazy physical team to come up there that's going to surprise me. And I mean, we saw it. The mob got challenged in that one game where they they were down for a while and they had to come back at the end. Um, it, it could happen in one game in a weird playoff game on a weird night. Guys didn't get sleep or they they didn't play and they're a little rusty from not getting having that bye. You never know. Um, nah. you, you don't nah. know. You, you just nah. don't know. I know, I know, coach. I know, coach. <laughs> I know, coach. Listen, I, I, I know. I here's the thing. I don't see any team. <laughs> I don't see any team being able to stop the way the rules are currently put together right now. Whereas players are jumping into the tramp, whether or not you have the ball. I don't see any team stopping the mobs' offense, mainly based off of mainly based off of the uh, the cuts that are that are being made. Um, I, I think that's just just one of those things. You see these players hopping in from all sides of the tramps, and you can't can't apply any pressure on them, right? Um, which I think sucks. You know, for, for, from a player perspective, you got to be able. If someone's going into the trampoline, you got to be able to put put your hands on them to to keep them from entering the tramp. You're, that's, you're talking backside backside pressure. Yes, 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 yes. Like not on the not, clip you showed. Yes, not on the ball. You have to be able to put pressure on the players because that's 
that's what's going to mess up the the mob's rhythm. And I don't think that the rules allow for that right now. Right. This is, as we speak, we're two weeks in. The season as a whole is four weeks for regular. And then in the fifth week, we deal with playoffs. So we're halfway through the regular season now. What are your expectations, starting with Coach Bear? What are your expectations for this league as we go through the rest of the season and then going forward past this this first season back for Slambo? Uh, for me, it is. I think the gameplay is going to get better. I, I think the lower end teams are going to start figuring some things out. I mean, I, I know Skit said no way on the Rumble. Somehow they're going to figure it out. I, I just, I just think these teams are going to figure it out. It's different going from a practice setting into the arena with the lights on brighter and cameras around and announcers and fans. It, it takes some adjusting. Uh, I think the league is going to get better as we go. We've already had a huge jump from one week one to week two. The games are going to get better. You might see some more defensive games that you see, like a lower scoring game. The buzzsaw ending with Barnes finishing, that was a very exciting game, and it was 32-29. But I was more excited about that game than a couple of the other games. Um, and then going forward, I think you're just going to keep seeing great, much better athletes. I think the, the, the level of athlete and skill is at an all-time high right now. And I think it's only going to get better because there are guys right now watching this saying, I can do that. Uh, and I think there are guys that are going to really come in this league and, and put a lot of pressure on these on these lower ender guys that are, you know, the fifth, sixth guys. And I think the league's going to get better. I, I, I really believe that. Craig, what about you? What are you enjoying or what are you expecting as the league goes on this season and then beyond? Yeah, I, I said at the top, I feel like the league is going to be at a really good point right when it ends. And uh, I think that's both exciting and also um, unfortunate. Uh, I, I really hope that the players are allowed the opportunity to continue to play uh, or at least continue to hone their skills moving ahead because that, that's where things start to take the next step. Um, and I think what you're going to see is, um, you know, going into the next season, because there will be a next season, uh, is is the next, next step in coaching as well. I don't know if all the coaches will return. Uh, I think you'll see. I think you'll see a big adjustment in the rules uh, moving from season to season. As as not only are the players learning the the game, but also you know uh, the league is learning the game. Let's put this in perspective, right? All in, there have been less than 500 slam ball games played ever, right? So we don't know the sport yet. The sport is still brand new. Um, you know, and it's it's a very very small sample size. So I would I would expect the rules to constantly be changing. Um, you know, they obviously can't change. They can they can modify them from week to week, but they can't outright change them. Uh, but I think you'll see a, a tremendous change in the rules from uh, from this season to next, and um, and a tremendous jump in strategy from one season to the next. Perfect. And then my last question, just to finish off this first edition of this week in Slam Ball, is. Are you guys enjoying watching the league? We'll start with you, Craig. Is it being fun to have slam ball back in our lives? Yeah, it's honestly, it's kind of a pain in my wife's ass because because <laughs> I'm like, honey, I got to watch slam ball. And at first, I, I will be honest, a after the first day or so, I was like, how am I going to watch this? Right. But I found myself getting more into what you know, it, it into the product every single week. Um, I hope that the ratings uh, when it's on. Uh, main ESPN and ESPN two. I hope that they that they're good, good enough. Uh, I know they they ran into some uh, some troubles in, with week one. They went against Messi's first game in in South Florida, and they went against the Women's World Cup. So those are two very big hurdles to to pass. Um, so I'll be interested to see how it goes from week to week. And uh, 
but yes, I am. I am enjoying it probably definitely more than I thought I would. Coach Bear, are you enjoying having slamball backing life and having this thing to watch, or is your wife also annoyed? <laughs> My wife loves it, but she's like she said. Yeah, today uh, they mentioned. I you know. Hernando was 23 in one of his seasons, and my wife looked at me and she goes, "What in the world? And where did time go?" Um, I love it. I love that Slam Ball's back. I, I there's only what eight, nine coaches in the entire world of Slam Ball, and I thankfully and luckily was one of them. And in, in terms of the players, Skits happened to be one of the few guys in the world to play the sport. Um, I love that it's back. I love the sport. I was always bought in on the sport. Um, I just happen to have a phenomenal college coaching job that I love to death. And otherwise I would, I would love to be there. I mean, I, I, I was going to be there. Um, I love seeing that the former players are coaching. I love seeing Hernando and Brendan back doing it. I love seeing Kevin on there. Uh, I told Hernando and Kevin, I'm living vicariously through them. Um, I'm getting the itch to want to coach slam ball. I love it. I think it's a great sport. I love that you are doing what you're doing. I love that there's these people that I don't know on slam ball that have created these accounts that have their opinions. And I love that they have opinions right, wrong, or crazy. Uh, I like that people are picking teams. Um, I think that's, you know, you talk about, we talk about the next step is rooting interest. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's easy. It, it's, it's hard to pick a team to really like, if you don't have like a rooting interest for them, you just kind of have to go, I'm, I'm a lava fan or I'm an ozone fan. But I think that's the next big step is getting rooting interest from people around the country and different regions. Uh, and then touch on what Skid says, you know, when this season ends, are these guys going to be able to stay in Vegas and keep working on their game? I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. A lot of these guys might go back and go play professional basketball or go back to their team they're on. And that's, that's our next step with slam ball. Where are we going to be able to get these guys to be able to play all the time? Are they going to stay in Vegas? Are they going to be able to go back to that warehouse where the practice was? But the opportunities are there. You know, and the social media buzz and the things you're doing are great. I think this show each week is going to be great. Uh, people are going to say Barakoff's an idiot and Skits doesn't know what he's talking about. And Barakoff's team's won three games or whatever. That's good. We want that buzz. We want, we want that hate. Um, and we want good, people good, to, say, good job to get the word buzz in there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. We, we, we want we want we want people to, to, to have different opinions than us and to come at us. And that means people care about the sport. And I think that's the next big thing. I mean, I, I have some things in mind that I'm going to I want to talk privately about that we could do, I think. But it's, this is great. This is great. I mean, look, look what we're doing. We're talking about slam ball. Perfect. Well, if you're listening or watching at home and you've got opinions about what we've talked about tonight that you want to get off your chest, make sure you get at us on social media or in the comments of this YouTube video. You can find me on social media at Quantum Roberts. That's Q-U-A-N-T-U-M Roberts. It's Craig, where can they find you? You can't. You can find me here on this show and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want your opinions. That's it. <laughs> Don't want to hear you about can it. Find, you can find me. It's just uh, Coach Barakoff at Twitter. Um, easy. Find me. Go after me. I love it. There's already one guy that thinks I'm crazy about stopper play. So he says, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I love it. I think I Coach Hernando needs to get it. off your case, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th this is great. I, I would love the feedback. I'd love people to have this as a talking point. And uh, I think it's just going to make the sport grow and, and make it awesome. So. This well, this has been the first edition of This Week in Slamball. We will hopefully be back after Weekend 3 with a second edition so we can talk about all the action then. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tune into Slamball as it comes back for Weekend 3 this Thursday.